you go, right there. <laughs> Excellent. Very excited to be here this morning uh, with you all, and it might not be for the reasons that you think. I actually uh, love coming to share here in the summertime because I know that uh, things shrink down a little bit in terms of numbers with students gone and families and people on vacation, but I actually really, really prefer this type of environment over you know, huge crowds, big stage, really feeling distant. Uh, in my Christian experience, and I've been a Christian only for 18 years, I've been in a variety of settings. I've been a part of a church plant. I've been a part of house churches. I've been in huge stadiums filled with people. And the amazing thing is, is that God is not limited in any capacity whatsoever as it pertains to the number of people uh, that are in the room. And I'm really looking forward and have a faith and expectation that he's going to do something big, that he's going to meet us all here. I mean, I was really even touched, um, you know, in a powerful way just by worship. You know, again, have been in settings where there have been huge, uh, you know, 12-piece bands with lights and fog machines and professional music, musicians on payroll. But, man, it was really powerful um, just having one acoustic guitar up here, just an intimate setting uh, that uh, really was, was ushering my heart into being uh, touched. And so I'm excited uh, about this. I'm excited about the tables. I'm excited about the conversation and the questions that we're going to have uh, a little bit earlier. You might be familiar with it, but hey, let's all have a faith and expectation uh, that God isn't limited in what he's going to be able to do this morning. I'm a little disappointed that I'm going to miss uh, the Sunday dinner because I love, I love Philly cheesesteaks. Man, uh, there was a, a small church that my wife and I were a part of in Miami that um, uh, did, it was called a home fellowship. And we used to do Sunday meals like this, but uh, that triggered a memory that I had because uh, they would regularly want to serve chili uh, for those Sunday dinners. And like, I'm from the Midwest. And so like, I love chili, but there's kind of a standard of when you're supposed to eat chili. And it's not. It's certainly not when it's 90 degrees and humid outside, which is usually the case in Miami. Like, it needs to be below 40 degrees. It needs to be football season for me to even, you know, think about chili. And so, uh, anyways, I'm sad I'm going to be missing out on the Philly cheesesteak, but hopefully you guys will go. And, and I love the community and the camaraderie that it's going, it's going to uh, it's gonna foster. Um, I'm really excited also to be able to join you guys in this journey uh, through the book of Acts. Um, I can remember when I first became a Christian, uh, when I was 20 on the college campus, uh, I was really hungry for God. He was doing some mighty things in my life, and I started to read the Bible for the first time, and, and I read it through uh, the entire way, Genesis to Revelation. And I remember getting to the book of Acts, and I had this thought when I first began to encounter this book and the stories that were taking place, and the thought was this, wow, this is what normal Christianity should look like. Has anyone ever had that thought if they've considered and, and maybe even as you guys have, have journeyed through it here, these first nine chapters, like, wow, this is what real and normal Christianity looks like. Man, people filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, people obedient to what God is asking them to do, people filled with uh, boldness and courage to go out and to perform miracles and to preach the gospel and to reject the status quo and to, and to go up against the religious opposition and to live in community and to live generously and all these incredible things. I would read this book and say, wow, this is what normal Christianity 
looks like. This is what the normal church looks like. And, you know, that wasn't the case leading up till then. I had all different types of, of misconceptions of what normal Christianity looked like. But I love the book of Acts because it completely blew those out of the water and rearranged them in what the word of God desires for our normal version of Christianity to look like. And uh, I can remember feeling that and actually still to this day on my Bible have that written at the very beginning of Acts, new normal, as a reminder to me uh, that this is what God has called us to do and to live like. Uh, But that doesn't mean from time to time I don't slip back into a version of Christianity, a a version of normalcy that isn't what God prepared for us. Um, You know, it happened uh, not too long ago, uh, maybe about four or five years ago. I can remember on a Sunday morning I was driving to church and I felt this question impress upon my head in this this normal, ordinary drive to church. And the question was this, hey, Wayne, what are you doing? Okay, well, I didn't have the music on, so I'm kind of engaging in this in this conversation. Well, I'm doing what I normally do on a Sunday. I'm going to church. And the the question and the inquisition, they they continued. And the next question was, well, well, what is that like? And I began to continue to have that conversation. It's like, well, I I wake up and I have some breakfast and coffee and and I show up to church and and they, they, I sing three songs with a group of people, and man, I, I'm hopeful that it's maybe a song that I really like because maybe I'll get goosebumps and feel really spiritual and holy. And you know, then we have a little break time, and you know, I put on this nice little smile and I try to act like I have it all together. And then next thing you know, you know, I sit down and I listen to a message, and I'm really hopeful that it's applicable. I'm hopeful that it's a little bit funny. And then I put on that nice happy face again. I walk out the door and then I go on to my Sunday afternoon hobbies. I had all that conversation in my head. And then this next question really pierced my heart. And the question was this, is that the normal that Jesus paid for? Okay, is that the normal that sometimes the the normalcy that we can uh, tend to slide into when it comes to a Sunday morning or what we think Christianity should look like is not the normal that Jesus Christ paid for. Man, because he paid a high, high price. And so I really believe that God wants to take us uh, to a next step, not only this morning, but even moving forward out throughout this week, all the way until you return back here next Sunday. And that's one of the things that, that the book of Acts Uh, has the supernatural ability to be able to do. So now we get into Acts chapter 10, all right? Michael got a chance to cover Acts 9 last week, and uh, this is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Uh, But just a little bit of disclaimer, it is so rich, it is so dense, there are so many things that are going on. You can spend several messages unpacking what's happening here. So obviously we don't have the time to be able to delve into Everything, every nuance, every dynamic that's found in Acts chapter 10. So I'm going to summarize the first part, and then we're going to dive into the word in the second part. And so the setting is this. Early church has been going on for about 10 years. God is doing some incredible things, and now he's going to take these two people, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, and Peter, a disciple of Jesus, and he's going to bring them together to do something really, really big. And so it's interesting, when you start the chapter, it starts off by describing who Cornelius is. It describes him as someone who is a Roman centurion. 
It describes him as someone who is a part of the Italian cohort, which is like a battalion or regiment that he was in charge of leading. He is a person of influence. But it's interesting when you think about the books of the Bible, it's written to a specific audience. And so when the readers of the Bible in that time would have heard that this guy was a Roman centurion, heard that he was a Gentile, it would have triggered an emotion in their heart. It would have triggered something. And that emotion probably wasn't very welcoming. All right. When you think about writing to a Jewish audience and you're starting off telling a story and describing someone, describing them first off as a Gentile and a Roman, that's not going to get them all warm and fuzzy. That's not going to get them thinking, wow, this person could be the hero of the story. But I love how the description of who Cornelius was didn't just stop there, but it went on to say that he was a devout man, that he feared God, that he prayed continually, and that he was very, very generous. And so it's interesting, in the, in the world of sports, when there's a, like a commentary, uh, commentators that are, are commentating on on a sport or a game or an athlete. We're in the Olympics, so maybe you guys can pick up on it as you're checking out the Olympics. There's kind of a rule of thumb that they have when it comes for commentators. And the first thing they are, they're, they're charged with the task of doing is they call it, is humanize. They want to humanize the person that they're describing. They want to humanize the team or the athlete that they're talking about. Then they get into analyzing them. And so what happens is when we humanize someone, it makes your heart be able to connect with them. It makes you be able to, um, you know, think about, man, their background, their ordinary person, that I have more in common with them than I do not in common with them. And so here we see kind of a same type of setup right here with the, the author of Acts is he's humanizing Cornelius. Okay, hey, yes, he's a Gentile. He's an outsider. Maybe he's someone that you've detested in the past. Maybe you haven't, good, haven't had good experiences with people of his kind. But hey, let's look, up, look at this. He fears God. He's devout. He prays. He gives generously. Hey, let's open up our hearts to see what God would want to do with this man. Let's open up our hearts because guess what? We could probably learn a thing or two from this person. And so as you think about the different interactions and encounters that you have with people, and maybe as you are quick to analyze them about what type of background they're from, what's their political affiliation, how do they feel about vaccinations, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. Hey, let's make sure that we're faithful to also humanize them, to know that, hey, we probably have more in common with them than we do in differences, and actually God might want to use them to show you something in their life. So this man, Cornelius, goes on. He's devout. He's young in his faith, but he's going after the Lord, and he has this incredible supernatural encounter with God. An angel shows up to him, okay? And an angel shows up to him and gives him special instruction to go and to seek out this man, Peter. Really awesome, really cool, okay? And on the other hand, you have Peter, all right? Peter is seasoned. He's well-versed. He walked with Jesus. He saw the miracles. He heard the sermons. Like he's further along in his faith. And it's interesting that Peter, like Cornelius, he too had a supernatural encounter here in Acts chapter 10. All right. And in that encounter, the Lord led him into a trance and showed him this incredible vision. Not once, not twice, but three times. 
the Lord showed Peter this vision. Man, the number three has been very, very important in this guy's life. He denied Christ three times. Jesus restored him three times, saying, feed my sheep. And now God is showing him this incredible vision three times. It's actually changing and shifting Peter's paradigm in the way that he sees the Gentile people. And so through this supernatural experience, God alerts him to some men that are going to be coming to look for him. And now we find the stage set, God bringing these two men together, wanting to do something very big. And so one thing that I want you guys to really think about and consider and to take away from this story is this. Both of those men had supernatural encounters with God, right? We see it. One saw an angel got specific instructions. The other was led into a vision and heard the audible voice of the Lord. Both of them had supernatural encounters with God. Yet both of them needed each other to have the revelation of what God was wanting to do in their life fully come to manifestation. Okay? So why is that good? And this is why. I'm sure all of us desire at some capacity to have a supernatural encounter with God. Hey, I would love to hear from the Lord. I would love to meet an angel. I would love to have a vision. I would love to get specific instructions that are detailed and map out my life. And maybe some of you have. Those things are indeed active and working today in the people of God. Yet at the same time, and even with the same emphasis, and this is where it gets a little tough, God actually uses people to bring us to where he desires us to get. In that encounter that Cornelius had with that angel, guess what? The angel could have laid out the entirety of the gospel to him. That angel could have laid out everything that Cornelius needed in order to experience God and for him to be the person that he created to be. Yet God still wanted to use another human being. Very same thing applies with Peter. God used a human being. And so, man, we've got these two different stories. We've got these two different kind of backgrounds, two different characters that as we're faithful to look at this, we can't look at it just as bystanders or just as people that are reading a story. Insert yourself into this story. Maybe which character, we're going to talk about these questions here. Which character do you find yourself more identifying with? Okay. Is it is it Cornelius, maybe someone that's young in their faith, that uh, is sincere, it's devout, that's going after the Lord, but maybe needs a little bit of input from someone that's older in their faith and more experienced? Maybe on the other side, maybe you find yourself more like Peter, where you've got some uh, seasoning to you, maybe you're more experienced, you're more well-versed, you've been a Christian a little bit longer, but guess what? God wants to continue to expand your heart and your mind through another person, and so as we get a chance to um, really get started here this morning and dive into this story, I want us to consider those two questions, okay? And I think here we can take some time. We've got a small enough group. We don't need to break down into tables, but maybe if someone would be courageous enough just to uh, open up and, and say and share which of those characters, which character do you relate more with and why? And then God often uses other people to accomplish his purposes in our life, and what causes us to be to object from this transformative ingredient? And the reason why I ask what causes us to reject it, because I imagine this right here, that if God gave Cornelius and Peter 
a choice. If he lined up people in front of them and said, hey, you can either choose an angel, you can choose Jesus, or you can choose a person for me to be able to reveal myself to them through and to be able to grow you in your faith, I imagine that neither of them would have chosen the other person. I know I'm probably guilty of that. If I have a lineup of those three, the, the person, the broken, fragile, flaky human being is probably not the first person that I'm choosing. But we have to understand the reality. God uses people. He uses people in our life. And he's going to continue that mode of transformation. So, hey, let's just have a few people just open up and just share openly about uh, some of these questions before we dive into the formal text. Yeah, no, I understand that. It's hard to admit that you're wrong. And guess what? The people that God sends into our life, oftentimes, are they perfect? Are they flawless? Is their worldview 100% correct? Oftentimes it's not. So they could be wrong as well. And that makes it difficult for us to receive them into our lives and to be able to experience what God wants to do through them in that relationship. All right. Who else? A couple more. Man, I identify with that so much, so much. I'm the, I'm the, the DIY guy. The do-it-yourself, the, the pull, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, using your own uh, ingenuity and, and smarts to be able to, to do these things out. Because guess what? Relationships are messy, all right? Relationships take longer, all right? Relationships are really risky, all right? I, I, uh, I can even uh, identify with that in the sense that, uh, because I, I reject oftentimes uh, God using other people in my life, it's a safety mechanism for me. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get let down. I don't want to be frustrated. Or a lot of us might feel we're at our relational capacity max. Anyone feel that? I certainly feel that. Wife, five kids, campus ministry, like we've got a wide range of relationships. God, I can't take you adding another person into my life to be a friend to or to be a mentor to or to be a mentee from. Like, gosh, I can't do that. Uh, But I was asking myself the wrong question. Asking myself the wrong question. man. Can I afford to miss out on what God has for me through someone else? You know, that's the real question we've got to ask ourselves if we respond that way. You know, and it's kind of a two way street, right? You know, God is going to send people into our life to use and to empower us and to call us out, to call us up. But also there's an expectation that God is sending us into other people's lives to do that same thing. All right. You guys see that? We're going to see that in this story. 
uh, very much so. And so let's dive into the text, okay? Man, let's open things up. So I did the best that I could in giving a overview of those first 30 chapters, and I missed a ton of things, so I would encourage you guys to, to go home and to read that yourself because I'm confident that the Lord wants to give you some other details um, and insight in those first uh, 30 verses, but we're going to pick up here in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. So again, the stage is set. God has brought these two men from different sides of the track, from different experiences in their walk with Jesus. He's brought them together and he is about to do something big. Here it starts off and it says, and opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And so again, understanding Cornelius' background and Peter being a Jew, traditionally, he would have had objections in even having a conversation with this guy, let alone going to his house and being around his family. But guess what? God was wanting to show him something. God was wanting to was to expand his vision and his understanding and what was happening in the kingdom in that moment. And I love that Peter had to open up his mouth and to declare what was taking place. Because guess what? God isn't expecting us to open our mouth as well. I mean, we've got to open up our mouths and speak to what God is doing in our lives. We've got to open up our mouth, as we'll see a little bit later on, to share and to preach and proclaim the gospel. You know, we can be experts and well-versed in a lot of things, right? We have conversations about a lot of areas of life, whether it's sports, whether it's Pinterest, whether it's politics, uh, whether, uh, I mean, it's just a variety of things. But are we having conversations about the things that really matter? Are we having conversations with people about the things that could actually transform their life? Are we having conversations with people in a way that can draw them into the depths of what God is doing, or is it just casual and surface level? All right, and if we want to partner with God and see the type of transformation that he has available, not only for us, but for the people around us, we have to open up our mouths and we have to be courageous in sharing the things that really matter. And so it's interesting. I remember reading this here, and it's totally applicable, especially to today, this reality that Peter was describing that God does not show partiality. And at face value, it's like, okay, hey, man, that's nice. Yeah, Jesus loves everyone. He's about everybody. But I couldn't help but think about all of the stories in the Bible that preceded this that seemed to paint a picture that, Wait, God, no, like you have shown partiality. My mind, the first story my mind went back to was the story of Noah and the ark. It's like, wait, you say, God, you don't show partiality here. But when Noah closed the door on that ark and it started raining and there was one family on the inside and there was a whole nation on the outside that was getting ready to go to their doom, like that shows there might be a little bit of partiality shown there, right? Am I the only one that picked up on that? Like, and several times throughout the biblical narrative, right? Whether it's Abraham, you know, God making a covenant with a specific man, Abraham, saying, hey, I'm going to multiply your family. I'm going to bless you. And through the nation, through your life, the nations of the world will be blessed. Wait, like, 
kind of seems like you're singling him out, all right? God did the same thing in terms of his relationship with the nation of Israel and even how he delivered them from the hands of Pharaoh and Moses went up on the mountain and had this encounter with God and he came down with, uh, with the Ten Commandments and later on the, the Levitical law would continue to grow through that. It's like, kind of seems like there's some partiality shown in, in the people that you're showing attention to and that you're giving a blessing to. And there, there are multiple stories throughout that. But it's interesting that as we look at it through this lens and see what God is getting ready to do with the Gentiles here, that even in those stories all the way back earlier in the Old Testament, God was not setting up boundaries of who's in and who's out. What God was doing is he was faithful to establishing and setting apart a specific people for himself, not so that he can create this culture of who's in and who's out, but so that people, when they looked at this nation, when they looked at this people group, when they looked at the faithfulness that these people had, that they could specifically know and recognize these are the people that serve Yahweh. Man, these are the people that have a relationship with the one true God. And later on, in the fullness of time, as the gospel continues to play out, we see that God is using those people to open a door and to expand this table and to invite every nation, tribe, and tongue into that similar type of relationship. And so this is something that God is expanding and growing, that God doesn't show partiality. Peter recognized that, that while even through this Roman Gentile, this outsider, someone who is uh, a part of a people group that was so oppressive in the region during that time, guess what? God is doing something in their midst. He's opening and expanding his family to even invite them in. And so what does that mean for us here today? As his image bearers, as those that would name the name of Jesus, in this same way, as God does not show partiality here, we are called to not show partiality to others as well. All right, when we have preferences, when we have biases, those things that kind of creep up in our heart and in our flesh and in our broken nature, they should be red flags to us because we can return right back to this reality here that God doesn't show partiality. He's wanting to grow his family and to invite the nations of the world to have a relationship with Jesus and to be used by him. So we'll continue on here. Picking up here in verse 36, and it says, the word to which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing that happened through Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I'm going to read that again because we're going to circle back to that as I'm coming to a close, all right? And you know of Jesus of Nazareth and how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. We'll continue on here in verse 39, for we are all witnesses of these things that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he be revealed, not to all the people, but to witnesses whom he had chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him 
after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and to testify solemnly, solemnly uh, that this is the one who has been anointed and, and appointed by God as judge over the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify of him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. All right, wow, there's a lot uh, in that gospel presentation. But one thing that I want to point to is indeed that it is a gospel presentation. Okay, that's exactly what it is. And it's amazing what can be communicated. It's amazing the picture that can be painted here in just a few short verses. Peter having the boldness and the courage and the faithfulness to speak. He was able to set the stage for God to do something very, very powerful. And it's interesting because I don't know if you guys are like me, but so many times I overcomplicate what it means and what it looks like to actually share the gospel with someone. I overcomplicate it so much that what ends up happening is that I disqualify myself from even opening up my mouth and speaking. I make excuses. I, I, I find ways to opt out. Well, I'm only going to have a short conversation with the person. And I'm not going to be able to lay out the entirety of the gospel. Hey, when we look at this version of this gospel presentation, Peter left a few things out. It wasn't this full, expansive, exhaustive uh, description of, of, of the full gospel. Like, man, he had some key points, all right? But he left some things out, all right? May, maybe we get uh, in a place where it's like, hey, well, well I'm, I'm unqualified. I haven't been a Christian long enough for a minute. I don't know all of the nuances of this or that. And, and we find a way to step away and step back from these meaningful moments that God presents to us in the daily conversations that we have. Well, I hope that we can take courage and take heart and recognize this here, that Peter didn't share everything. He didn't preach the entire Bible. He shared a couple of things, who Jesus is, what he accomplished, and how Jesus had impacted his life. And when we think about it like that, in these bite sizes, does that sound more doable to anyone? Like, hey, I can do that. I can practice that. I can write down two or three paragraphs about each of those, and you know what? I can be intentional about when I go out this week with a coworker or a family member or a neighbor to somehow be able to share and to get to that type of subject matter. All right. So we don't want to get to a place where we disqualify ourselves because um, maybe we're not familiar with the, the full entirety of the gospel. Or maybe we don't have the opportunity to have a long two hour conversation with someone. Because what happens is, and we're going to see it play out a little bit later on, is that God is wanting to partner with us. OK, God is wanting to partner with us. I can't help but think that probably in this scenario and in multiple scenarios as Peter was charged with preaching the gospel, and guess what? We are all charged and called to share the gospel. It's not just for those that have been Christians a long time. It's not just for the paid ministry workers. Anyone that names the name of Jesus is called to do that. As a matter of fact, none of us would be here this morning had someone not had that courage and faithfulness to share the gospel with us. But it's interesting, Peter was there with Jesus as he gave the Great Commission all the way back at the end of Matthew. And one of the most encouraging things about the Great Commission, and I'm so thankful that Jesus bookended it with this, is he gave this encouragement. I will be with you 
I will be with you. He gave, this, he gave them this really big and this really intimidating task. Go and make disciples, preach, baptize, go do all these incredible things to be able to expand my kingdom and to make my name famous. And just at face value, when you hear those things alone, you're like, I'm not built for this. This is above my pay grade. I've got no ability to accomplish this in and of my own self. And you're right. But Jesus finished by saying, I will be with you. So it's not this thing that we have to do in and of our own strength and our own ability and our own mental capacity. But God is wanting to partner with us in moments like this. And that's, again, where the story gets really good. We've got a lot of good stuff up to this point, but it does not stop here. And so let's go on and take a look and see what this partnership looks like. Okay, let's follow along in these last verses of Acts chapter 10. Love this. This is great. Get ready. And it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. While Peter was still speaking, I just love what that looks like in my mind. It's this partnership of Peter and the Holy Spirit working together. Here, Peter's in this moment of preaching, opening up his mouth to Cornelius and his family. And I get, if, if Peter was this podium, I get this picture in my mind that the Holy Spirit is kind of his wing right over his shoulder. Thinking about these different points and these different, uh, you know, scenarios that, that Peter is laying out of who Jesus is, what he accomplished and how he transformed his life. And the Holy Spirit is back to this in agreement like, yes, oh, that's great. Oh, man, that's so true. I was there when that happened. Thinking about that. And then finally, there comes a moment that while Peter was still speaking, and this is really funny to me, the Holy Spirit steps up and says, that'll be enough. I'll take it from here. And the Holy Spirit comes and falls. This partnership, right, that's taking place in this moment that God has given Peter a task, a responsibility to do that God is not going to do for Peter, right? God didn't uh, open Peter's mouth in some type of trance and make his mouth move and send words out. No, Peter actually had to open up his own mouth and articulate the goodness of God, all right? God didn't give Peter robotic legs when he was all the way back in Joppa and move his legs all the way to Caesarea. No, Peter had to be obedient to get up and to follow the directives that the Lord had given him. There's this partnership that's taking place. We all have a role and responsibility that God has tasked us with that he is not going to do for us. We've got to be faithful to do it ourselves. While at the same time, God has an active role to play in encountering and transforming people's heart that we cannot do for him. You guys understand that? Like Peter wasn't going to be able to trigger in and of his own self and in and of his own will the Holy Spirit coming and falling upon these people. He had no ability to do that, but there was a unique partnership that was taking place. And that same partnership is available to each and every one of us in here. And it's incredible what happened. The Holy Spirit fell. Let's go ahead and read the rest of the story. It says, while Peter was still speaking, I'm going to read that again, still speaking these words, 
the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the Jewish believers who came with Peter were in amazement. Peter actually brought witnesses with him because he knew something big was about to happen. They saw this. They had their minds blown. And they had their minds blown, as it says here in the text, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had also been poured out on the Gentiles. This is something that never happened before. All right, this has been something that at the time had been specifically uh, relegated to the Jewish people. We're thinking about the day of Pentecost, all right, and several opportunities that happened thereafter, that the Jewish people had only experienced this type of supernatural encounter and exposure to the Holy Spirit. And how did they know it? It says, for they were hearing them speak with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter responded, surely no one can refuse the water uh, for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. And so I really find it hard pressed to believe that this incredible scenario that played out here with the Holy Spirit coming upon the Gentiles and actually expanding God's name and opening up the bounds of his family to the nations would have happened had it not been for Peter and Cornelius, their faithfulness and obedience to God for that supernatural encounter they have, but also for them opening up their hearts to receive from other people. Okay, let's be faithful to open up our hearts and to receive from other people, for God to use our lives to actually bring other people along, even people we wouldn't normally pick out, even people that we wouldn't normally choose to associate with, even with people that we wouldn't naturally have commonality with, and to know that there is a partnership that is taking place. Man, God is desiring for you to partner with him. You want to know why that's important? Because when we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we find God's original intent for the world was for this divine partnership. For humanity to work hand in hand with God to see his purposes fill the earth so that everything would flourish. We obviously know that that was broken through sin, but it's a unique part of the gospel. God is restoring that very thing, and because Jesus came, and was able to execute that partnership in a flawless manner, now it's made available to us who would believe. And so it's interesting. We talked about circling back and how important it was. That portion of scripture is it talked about how Jesus was anointed, how he received the power of the Holy Spirit, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Again, This book and this story is being told to a specific audience, and that reality would have triggered something in their minds. Okay, anointing, Holy Spirit, power, darkness being pushed back. Wait a minute. That happened in Jesus' life. Okay. Wait a minute. I thought I heard about a story of that happening about 10 years ago in Jerusalem in Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came and the very same thing happened. There was an anointing. There was power made available, and guess what? The forces of darkness were pushed back. Wait, that same thing is available to the Gentiles here? That very same reality is available to us. And we have to function and operate in that if we desire to see the kingdom of God flourish in our lives and in the lives of the people around us.
So let's be faithful to do that. So let's just stand up um, as we come to a close here, because I really believe that there's a moment very much like in this story that God is wanting to deposit a greater measure of his Holy Spirit into our lives so that we can see that partnership take place. God is wanting to give us a, a grace and a compassion in our hearts that we've never experienced before to open up our hearts and minds to be able to receive from other people and to be used by him to be able to go into other people's lives to usher them into a greater relationship and calling with Jesus. And so let's just bow our heads in agreement. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this incredible story. God, we don't want to be uh, those who are just uh, reading this story and hearing what took place there as bystanders or someone that's being uh, entertained by uh, a, a narrative, a supernatural narrative. But God, we want to insert ourselves into this very story and to know that the things that you made available to Cornelius and Peter are made available to us through Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the supernatural encounters that we've had with you. And Lord, we have a faith and expectation that those will continue to increase. But God, give us the eyes to see when you are wanting to speak and to accomplish your will through broken people. Through people we might not agree with, through people we might not normally associate ourselves with. God, give us the eyes of faith to see that there are hidden gems and treasures that you've placed in each inside of every one of us. And God, at the same time, I also ask that you give us a boldness to open our mouth to proclaim the gospel, to talk about the things that really matter. Lord, to not overcomplicate the simplicity of your love and of your power and of your word. Lord, and help us to articulate those in a manner that will bring about faith in our hearts and transformation in the hearts of those that are hearing. Finally, God, I ask that there will be a greater measure of your Holy Spirit deposited in our hearts and in our lives so that people will be able to look upon them and say, wow, God is good. God is great. God is powerful. God is active and doing something in the world this and each and every day. And that we can have access to that through faith in Christ. Lord, thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen.